I think what's really important is to respect the choice of people who want some time out of the workforce as well. And you know, to the point that I suppose many of us are making is, is how do we level that playing field so that when they do want back in, they don't lose out for, for having made a, a different choice that they felt was the right priority for them. So whether it's returners programs of the type that many companies, including ourselves, do that help people who've taken a career break to come back into the workforce to upgrade their skills and to be able to, to have the same level playing field. I think those kind of programs are really important. And in my experience, you know, what's lovely is that when you do introduce those programs, people love it in the workforce as well. They want to embrace being able to help others. And that's a real basic human need that you can that you can appeal to, which is let's help everyone get a fair shot. Mm -hmm. So I think it's respecting both choices of when you do want to be an active member of the workforce, you want to have more transient arrange arrangements like with the gig economy workers, or you want out for a period of time, but then you want back in. Mm -hmm. And to enable people to make that step back in as well. It takes exactly. a, a lot of um, new policies and procedures, new ways of thinking. And I'm aware this is a science and technology conference, but what we're talking about here are kind of legacy issues, I would say, in the workforce. These aren't new problems. And a really great point that was raised uh, by Silicon Republic's careers editor when we were discussing this this morning, Jane Jarmody, shout out to her. Um, there seems to be a lot of future workforce discussion obsessed with bringing automation and productivity tools and making it so that you can work anywhere, everywhere, all of the time. But they're distractions. They're still not dealing with the fundamental problems that have been there this long time. Do you find that as uh, HR professionals and people who are people leaders, that what you're advocating for is to solve problems that have been going on for a long time and the technology is not necessarily going to be the transformative thing that needs to be there? Um, I think it can help transform those. So, you know, what, what um, I've been encouraged to see is, is where technology helps eliminate bias and actually put in place you know, systems and ways of working that will enhance productivity and performance. I mean, we're using contextual learning algorithms that will help match CVs to open roles without a human ever coming near it. So immediately you have no bias. We're also using them in, in places like India where we hire a lot of people to be able to say, okay, you may not even have applied for a job, but you know what skills you have. So let us match you to open vacancies. And, and of course it takes away from the age old adage of, of women not applying for a job because they don't feel they, they meet all of it. So I do think technology is a tool. It's, it's certainly not a, distra a distraction, it's more transformative. Uh, I'd love to hear from, from the panel on what they're doing, but I think it's how you use it to solve for some of these legacy issues. And there are, there's some really powerful ways in which we can eliminate bias. Yeah, I think if, if AI is used to support what people are currently doing, then it can be a positive force. Like, like you were saying with biases, like when we do, like we do performance, right? So when you do an annual review, if you have all your feet, if you have like data points on someone throughout the year, then you're less biased when you're rating somebody. So you, versus it being an emotional dis decision because you don't have the data points when you do kind of give them a rating on stuff. Um, so I think technology does really help stuff. There could be an overkill. I think there's like a, a like a range of like how much technology you want because um, you, you don't want to paralyze people with too many things that they can use because then they don't invest in anything like enough to get enough out of it. Um, but I think if you have the healthy ba balance then it could really kind of make your workforce more productive. I would echo that. I think you have to do both old and new. So <clears throat> as we think about the future work, there's a lot of things we're innovating around, but you also have to think about the basics. So performance management, compensation reuse, all those things have inherent gender bias sort of baked into them. So to give an example based on performance management, um, when you actually look at most reviews for men and women, not surprisingly, a lot of women's feedback is behavioral. She's too aggressive. She's too bossy. You take your pick. And shockingly, 
many, many, many women are given the feedback that they need a mentor, and miraculously, none of the men's reviews include that they should potentially <laughs> seek out a mentor. And so that data unto itself is really important to be transparent about, because all of a sudden, if you share with both male and female managers, here's what you're saying to women on your team, and here's what you're saying to men on your team, and there are fundamental differences in the language you use, the vernacular you use, and oh, by the way, how you're treating them, that's a problem. Same thing with our, perform with our compensation review. We've added a tiny little box so that before you hit submit, you have to actually look at the gender breakdown of the comp recommendations you're making. And so those little tweaks, as far as the old like vintage systems, make a huge difference. I truly believe that most human beings want to do the right thing. We have to help them do that within the existing infrastructure of core HR, and we're trying to both think big, but also think little hacks that make a big difference to kind of cue people to do the right thing. Welcome back to the second series of InspireFest, the podcast. I'm Anno D. I'm the founder of InspireFest, which takes place in Dublin every summer over three days. In this series, you get to hear the conversations backstage between Claire O'Connell and Shauna Boyle and some of our speakers. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not come along and meet us in real life in Dublin? Every year we have attendees from about 40 countries. You simply book your tickets at InspireFest.com. It's our fifth birthday in 2019, so we wanted to do something nice for our podcast listeners. So we've created a discount code just for you. Go to inspirefest.com and enter the code INSPIREPOD19. It's time to crack on with this episode, but before we do, I just want to take a moment to thank the Digital Hub for being our anchor sponsor once again for this series of InspireFest, the podcast. The spark for InspireFest grew out of our home here at the Digital Hub four years ago, so it's a pretty fitting partnership. The Digital Hub is based in the Liberties in the heart of Dublin City. It's a collaborative space and it's home to lots of technology and digital media companies. But it's more than just an office. Why not visit thedigitalhub.com to find out more? Now, let's get on with this episode. Hello. I'm Claire O'Connell and in this episode of the podcast, you'll hear my chat with Elaine Burke backstage at InspireFest 2018. Elaine is Managing Editor of Silicon Republic, an online publication that covers the latest developments in technology and innovation, as well as the vital issues impacting science, technology, engineering and maths. Elaine has a background in journalism and through her work as an editor, she helps to showcase and encourage diversity in STEM. We actually work together a lot because I write each week for the Women Invent series in Silicon Republic. It was great to catch up with Elaine backstage at InspireFest. And here's the conversation we had. So Elaine, tell us about the work that you do in Silicon Republic. Uh, it's like herding cats. Uh, so a managing editor, uh, it's kind of a dog's body role. <laughs> but not really. It, like running a newsroom, essentially, is what I do. Uh, we're a nice small team, very well connected, and we work uh, very much together in the office as much as possible. Even though remote working makes a lot of things possible, we actually like to keep things together. We think it's really important to be able to communicate with each other, bounce ideas off of each other. The amount of times during the day we're kind of like, I can't think of a word for X, or is this a good headline? When you're starting to doubt yourself on a Friday afternoon or whatever. Um, so it's a small, uh, well connected, quite lively newsroom. Sometimes we have the odd visitor and I have to 
dial things back a bit and say we're not always like this but we are <laughs> it is a fun place to work because uh, newsrooms can be a bit hectic and then you'll get those moments where it's really calm and quiet because everyone's really focused and writing and then you'll get another surge of uh, some news broke and everyone wants to talk about it because journalists by nature very interested in just about everything and want to talk about everything so while we have to do a lot of hard work concentrating we also are very chatty and want to have discussions and I think that's what drives a lot of what we do we want to kind of drive conversations and have other people in other offices starting to have conversations. Just to give people an idea of the sort of the the throughput as well I mean roughly how many stories uh, does Silicon Republic publish each day? Uh, per day the best person to answer this would actually be our sub-editor Shelley Madden who has to read through every single one of those stories and she does a tremendous job to do it um, and she would say I think like a slow enough day would probably be 15 16 stories and then a big day would it, you'd get over the 20 mark of stories and yeah that's all for her <laughs> to, to work through and some of those could be 2,000 3,000 words just to really wreck her head <laughs> Um, obviously, uh, you report a lot on developments in science and technology. What about the intersection between science, technology and culture? I mean, there have been some cultural and political trends in recent years. You know, what have you seen coming through that, that intersects with science and technology? Well, it's, it's actually, that's why I really love working for Silicon Republic. And it's what drew me to them as a company and what makes me happy to go to work every not every day <laughs> monday to friday um and that's what it is they they are really keen to look at that intersection between science technology and culture that's why you have an event like inspire fest that is studying the intersection of the arts along with science technology engineering maths and that's part of silicon republic's ethos it's not no accident that inspire fest came from the silicon republic team and um, when you write about science and technology, you can make things very siloed, very technical, very inaccessible, and you are just talking to the the audience that are the creators of the stories that you're writing about. But we're actually trying to write those stories for more people to read. So we, we talk to researchers doing amazing work um, with things like CRISPR, that it, like to an average person it's hard to understand, like gene slicing. Um, but you try to find ways to communicate that to a much bigger audience and we try to cross-pollinate stories as well. So we have our startup section and we have our enterprise section and they're very businessy. And then we have our science section that's all about innovation and research and uh, emerging technology as well, things in AR, VR and what new things computer science is coming up with. But we are on our website we're trying to make sure there's a cross-pollination of those readerships that they're seeing those other stories come through someone reading about CRISPR might then just find out about a startup that's doing an interesting thing that they think that they can work in because they're great at computer science and data science and things like that how can um if you're writing about science technology business you know do you address things like for instance you know the me too movement that emerged you know um is there any any crossover with that that, that you've, you've found that you, you can sort of tackle those sorts of issues with the writing that you do? Yeah, there's actually kind of two sides of that. I mean, the, the one side is the obvious uh, media business side, which is if there's a cultural movement happening, if there's a thing that people are talking about, you'd want to be finding a way to write about it for your uh, website or your publication because otherwise you're not going to be part of that conversation and you're not going to get hits for a few days. So we do have to try and find ways to do that strategically. But then there's also, when a movement like that happens and it's close to our values, we are extra keen to be on top of it. I mean, there was a time when we had... Uh, 
to chase memes and things like that to try and write stories that would generate traffic just because people wanted to look pictures look at pictures of cats all day and like that's fine it will drive traffic but it doesn't drive satisfaction in your work and we're in a much better position now where we have people who are writing about things because they care about them like we wrote a lot um not a lot but we wrote quite a few pieces about the uh, repeal movement recently because there were tangential elements that came under our remit so things like women on waves using drones to deliver um reproductive um medicines to people and uh the hacks on the websites that was happening or even just the conversation that was happening happening around uh dark media and the way uh, advertising targeting was being used in that campaign we could definitely write with our expertise on those areas and it was a strategic move as well because that's a conversation that was happening in every house in the country for that period of time but also for us it aligned our values to be writing things about that that were kind of an important cultural moment for Ireland. Elaine you chaired a panel on the future of work at Inspirefest what did you learn from that? Um, what I what I really like about doing these panels um, and I think it's something that uh, is, is part of what Silicon Republic is as well we're a science technology news website generally run by people who have uh, really deep set values and uh, are also a little bit skeptical about some of the science and technology that is around there and our skepticism is born from this idea that Anne-Marie Mifiden, I think, quoted uh, yesterday in her talk, that just because you can doesn't mean you should. What we want to see from science and technology is solutions that really help people, that empower people, that make the world a better place. Because these great things that we can do should be doing good, not just faffing about so that someone can have juice. <laughs> the famous juice arrow was like the reason why there's a sign on our wall that says just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, and when we talk about the future of work, I think we do get too obsessed with what technology can do in the future of work and um, talking about robots stealing jobs and scaring people as well. And I mean, the, the progress of time and technology has shifted jobs and what people do for work over time. That's not a new situation that happened. And that's another thing that happens a lot in our work. We're often not talking about something new. We're just talking about it in a new framework. Um, so our future of work discussion today, unsurprisingly because I was leading it, wasn't one of those conversations that's just talking about you can be always on by doing this and you can burn yourself out by working 24-7 now, isn't that fantastic? And then a robot's going to seal your job anyway. What we ended up talking about was how some new technologies and things like data analysis um, and uh, flexi flexible working systems and programs that enable flexible working, remote working, might actually solve what are the legacy problems in the workplace at the moment, which is that there is a lack of flexibility that isn't just like, you don't just need a flexible workplace to attract millennials, you need a flexible workplace to service the people who are working for you now who are trying to have families. Because having a family means that sometimes you can't be at work at a time, at the set times that you're supposed to be there. There needs to be that flexibility. And we talked a lot about parents and parental leave and very particularly parents and parental leave because at the end of the day most companies only have maternity leave policies and you cannot call yourself a modern company that supports women when you actually are supporting what is an outdated idea that only women should be taking care of children. Uh, so I thought that that was a really beneficial discussion to have. It might have surprised people <laughs> that we weren't heavily talking about science and technology but I think what we talked about were the important issues about that would need to be solved in the, in the workplace. This is my first time here at Inspirefest and I heard everyone saying it was different and exceptional but I didn't really believe them because a lot of people say that about a lot of conferences but I came here and the, the speakers are amazing and they touch on subjects that are very different uh, like accessibility, 
LGBTQ and how to be more inclusive and diverse and it was really really amazing. I recommend it. Most conferences drive to have a diverse set of speakers. InspireFest truly does that. You've got people from all different communities on stage, 65% women, which is amazing. Uh, so yeah, I think that's the one thing that really inspires me. I love just the whole variety of different talks on various things. So sometimes there's things just come up that you don't expect and there's things maybe you weren't expecting to really like and they were really, really interesting. Well, I keep coming back as a third year. It's a, I love to hear stories and you know how people are making impact. It's very inspiring. It's really, really, really nice just to be in a place that's full of other passionate and enthusiastic people. Um, and I really find that I leave InspireFest with a lot more energy than I came with.